This podcast is intended as entertainment for grown-ups and to spread awareness of 826LA, a nonprofit writing and tutoring center for children ages 6 to 18. For a full schedule of 826LA's events and programs, including the Echo Park Time Travel Mart, visit 826LA.org. And now, here's the host of the Dead Authors Podcast, Mr. H.G. Wells. Greetings, gentle listener, and good podcast to you. A very good podcast indeed, though I say so myself. The myself to whom I refer is, of course, the noted author H.G. Wells, and the podcast to which I referred prior to that reference is none other than that one to which you currently listen, The Dead Authors Podcast. What's that, you say? You find my opening remarks needlessly convoluted. In point of fact, I have neither need for nor interest in your feedback, which, come to think of it, I shouldn't even be able to hear. Odd. And furthermore, the twists and turns that comprise my welcome are, in fact, a clever tribute to our guest this go-round, the queen of crime herself, Dame Agatha Christie. It is often said of mystery writers that the best of them start their stories with the ending and work backwards. Well, did you know that the same holds true for time travellers? You didn't, I'd wager. I imagine the overwhelming majority of you have never travelled through time. Not even once! Oh, how I pity you. I have time travelled, of course. Loads of times. Oh, come now. No tears. It's not as bad as all that for you. On the bright side, at least you created an entire genre of fiction so wildly popular that it continues to thrive over a century after... Oh, dreadfully sorry. Just winding you up a bit there. That one was about me as well. At any rate, I recall a recent temporal sojourn where I decided to start at the end and work backwards. Rather than pick a person or event of note, as is my wont, I selected a completely ordinary human being and undertook to study the events of his life from the perspective of his deathbed. Now you may say that sounds a bit ghoulish, and you wouldn't be entirely wrong. But this is science, and so we must steel ourselves to face the unpleasant in order to expand the scope of our knowledge, to truly understand our place in the universe, and to answer, at long last, that ultimate question, why? So I began my experiment with no small amount of trepidation, prepared for the triumph and heartbreak of human existence in all its glorious tragedy and its tragic glory. However, nothing could have prepared me for what awaited. A near lothal dose of boredom. I mean, this chap's life didn't amount to a bally thing. He never went anywhere. He never did anything. Can you imagine frittering your life away, brushing your teeth, going to work, watching a bit of football on telly, emptying the cat box, going to bed, only to repeat the entire cycle the next morning, and the morning after that, on and on for 80 odd years? Cool blimey, a trip down the pub was like the bloody Summer Olympics for this fellow. To put it in the American parlance, his life was a real snooze fest. Luckily, for the rest of mankind, great works of literature are here to shift collective focus away from the crushing drudgery of existence. And so I say, you're welcome, on behalf of myself and, to a lesser extent, our guest for Chapter 17 of the Dead Authors Podcast, Agatha Christie. Yes, oh, forgive me for... I love your bag. It's a fun, it's a fun bag, yes, indeed. From, from the motherland, there's uh, London, of course, the city, the city uh, where we come from. And then, of course, Big Ben, not a person. It's the name of a bell inside no. a clock. But for Americans, you must explain these things. It's, uh, that's what I've learned yes. over the years. They know yes, so indeed. little, but 
seem to know so much. Our American cousins, we do enjoy a special relationship. Yes, great readers they are. They are indeed mm. still, surprisingly enough. They've read all of the Girl With series. <laughs> She's got a dragon tattoo. She's kicking a hornet's nest. What won't this girl do? Ah, uh, the Swedes, the Swedes, the yes. melancholy people. Yes. <laughs> do you mind if I remove my mink? Oh, not at you all. You did not remove it for me, so. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I do apologize for my lack of manners and, and you being a, a, a dame and all. I do, I do apologize. It, it, it's very true. It's dame a, of the British Empire. Certainly, certainly a sin <laughs> to... May uh, I take this out of its You may indeed. You, you, do, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, well, I'll madam. I'll leave it here for now because I know that you'd like me to read something from my book. Yes, would you mind? If you wouldn't mind favoring us with a, with a reading, a brief excerpt from one of your many, many books. Do you know when you plucked me out of obscurity in my time machine? Yes. Or your time machine, rather. I like I to think of it as our time machine. <laughs> Well, well, we're in there together, it certainly was. My, my time machine is your time machine. You are nothing but a gentleman, H.G. Me they machina di tempo, S. Sue machina di tempo. Would you believe I forgot to bring one of my books, which I do usually carry one of my books with me, but of course. in case, you know, someone doesn't know who I am, I simply... Pull one out of a toad. Toads are wonderful things, as I say. <laughs> you just flash the book in the face. Did that do anything for you? I went to this wonderful shopping place, which was constructed to look as though it was a town square, but it was a mall all at the same time. Are you speaking of the Grove here that in Los Angeles? That is the very one I speak yes, indeed. of. Uh, Ma'am, did you ride the trolley? Oh, the streetcar? Yes. <laughs> I... <laughs> No, did you get in a shopping trolley? And uh, <laughs> were you pushed around like a baby in a pram? I d I d I'm still British, don't you worry. I, cons <laughs> I considered the notion, and then I thought better of it. Yes. So cooler heads, in, in cooler heads. There I was, and I went in, and I said, I don't know, there's a little-known author you've probably never heard of her. And if, there they were, all 66 of my books right there on the shelf. So... Lucky you. Congratulations, all 66 still in print. That's yes, no, the 15 short stories were, you know, sometimes an anthology, sometimes not. Yes, indeed. So. <laughs> Depends on the day. Whichever, really, whichever. <laughs> this I am reading from Murder on the Orient Express, which Americans, I believe, know as Murder on the Train to Calais. Oh. She's a dame of the British Empire. Do people know this book, or have they seen the film? There was yes, the film. everyone. Don't pretend like you don't know this yes, this work. Yes. Don't embarrass yourselves by acting illiterate. <laughs> Too cool for school. Very coy, this audience. Very yes. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. It's the neighborhood. Very good. This is from Chapter 9. Poirot propounds two solutions. The passengers came crowding into the restaurant car and took their seats round the tables. They all bore more or less the same expression, one of expectancy mingled with the apprehension. The Swedish lady was still weeping and Mrs. Hubbard was comforting her. We'll skip the dialogue there because it's American and no one's interested. You know that that sounds like anyway. Her voice died away as Poirot stood up. The wagon-lit conductor was hovering in the doorway. You permit that I say, monsieur? Certainly, Michel. Poirot cleared his throat. Monsieur and Madame, I will speak in English till I think you all of you know a little of that language. We are here to investigate the death of Samuel Edward Ratchet, alias Cassetti, 
There are two possible solutions of the crime. I shall put them both before you and I shall ask Monsieur Buc and Dr. Constantine here to judge which solution is the right one. Poirot is Belgian for those that don't. <laughs> you, get, you get the voices and all. Uh, they're in my head. Why shouldn't they be in my mouth? Certainly. <laughs> the old writer's expression. I've heard it used for worse purposes. <laughs> My word. <laughs> bit, bit cheeky. Well, I, was, I died in 1976, so, you know. Oh, I, so I hear, so I hear. <laughs> now you all know the facts of... Now you all... Pardon me, I was doing, not doing Poirot, I was doing me. Now you all know the facts of the case. Mr. Ratchet was found sad this morning. He was last known to be alive at 12.37 last night when he spoke to the wagon lit conductor through the door. A watch in his pyjama pocket was found to be badly dented and it had stopped at a quarter past one. Dr. Constantine, who examined the body, who went found, put the time of death as having occurred between midnight and two in the morning. At half an hour after midnight, as you all know, the train ran into a snowdrift. After that time, it was impossible for anyone to leave the train. Bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> they make it the Christie murder. Available the at the Grove. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lovely addition too. It's got a. Uh, may I see that cover if you, if you don't mind? The paper it's, uh, has gotten so cheap. Hasn't it, it? it really yeah. has. Yes, it's got. The, it's got it's the very modernist. Not sure what that. Man Ray would have something to say about that. I Indeed, it, it's it's a, it's a, there's, there's certainly the train. The Orient Express itself, one one uh, imagines, and yep. then uh, it's it's uh, pumping out instead of a, a smoke and steam as an engine would do. It's pumping out great billowing clouds of blood. Yes. <laughs> very exciting. The Queen. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I do believe that the title sort of gives it away. <laughs> Fair enough, it's, it's not called. It's not called Guess What Happened on the Touché. Orient Express. Did you hear? <laughs> now let's, let's start right here. The, the, the Queen of Mystery. It says it right yes, there on the it book. Does, doesn't it, it identifies it as a, a Poirot in the upper right-hand yes. corner. That's, that's how popular these books are. That's, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a book by the Queen of Mystery, Agatha Christie. And I've read all the marbles. I would like a Poirot. Um, it's very... You, 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 you're much read. Um, your books have been translated into uh, uh, several different... Like, hundred, uh, over a hundred different languages. Yes, it's 103, um, I think. But uh, I yes, I, I think it I just know? might be 103. Ask my accountant. Ask my accountant. <laughs> now, this has got to be t terribly exciting for you. Did you ever sure. dream that you would, you would achieve such dizzying heights? Do you know I didn't? And then I wrote my first novel, and then I did. Is that funny? Now you were you were convinced from an early age yes. that you had the goods, as they say. And you were sure. quite surprised when your first novel was turned down. Do you, well, wouldn't you be? Well, weren't, yeah. you, weren't you? Well, it's it's heartbreaking. I, I don't know that I was uh, that I was surprised. Uh, there's a, there's a streak of self-loathing in me, certainly. That uh, I thought, well, absolutely, I deserve not to have a, a novel published. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I never had once that thought. <laughs> it no. doesn't, doesn't seem as if I, you did. I sort of believe that you write things and they're either appropriate for the time that you live in or they're not. So everything I wrote was smashing. <laughs> and if, it, if they didn't want it, I'd put it in a trunk and four years later, cart it out, and there we were. Would, would you rub it in their faces four years later and say, does this seem familiar to you at all? Oh, heavens no, heavens no. I would wait until it had its millionth printing. Then I would send them a platinum edition of my book. <laughs> the book is, my books are more read than 
the Bible, I believe, and Shakespeare combined. Uh, yeah, well, yes. I'm told. There is uh, the claim made by uh, the people who, uh, who possess the rights to your books now that you are more widely read than Shakespeare. Now, as an author, does that feel... Do you feel good? Do you feel a little bit naughty that you're out yeah, selling uh, the bar? It feels appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't like a good chill? <laughs> We humans, we have a very odd addiction to suspense. I mean, you, you understand, people like a scare. Yes, indeed. And why that is, I don't know, but I'm certainly glad they do. <laughs> now, you, you specialized in these, uh, uh, these mysteries that uh, uh, very much dealt with the, uh, the, upper, uh, the upper middle class and the upper class in, in, in Britain and, and their goings and comings and carryings on. Um, you know, but th this was exclusively, exclusively the world about which you wrote. Uh, you were sort of the, the Woody Allen of your day. Um, I was going to say the same <laughs> thing. Yeah, you the very same. <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> My books are rather formulaic, but they strike gold every time. <laughs> As with Woody Allen, the film is entirely the same every time you'll see it. It's only the characters and the locale that change. That's right. Yes. Um, and yet the people are surprised. Now you were born, uh, you were born of uh, humble beginnings in in terms of the upper middle class. Um, uh, you were born in the seaside town of Torquay. Um, do you still have an affection for the seaside? I do have an affection for Torquay and for the seaside. I spent quite a bit of time there in my adult life. It, mm. One needs to retire from the city, London, Indeed. yes, for those. Uh, society can become a bit much and as you know I was a rather prolific writer and if one doesn't have the time to write you know one yeah. can get distracted by the sort of uh, vices of the city shall we say you were very active in society as well you were uh, well you I was know. invited everywhere yes indeed. certainly turned down most invitations yes it is especially as a young girl looking for a husband you went to uh, uh, party after party there was mm. a, a very it was a rather desperate time yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in those days of course it was uh, it was very important that a, a young lady uh, become married as quickly as possible <laughs> Well, yes, of course. I mean, it's sort of, you don't want to die on the vine, do you? <laughs> that was the fair at that time. And I did something very non-traditional, which was I married and I divorced and I married again. But my first husband was a bit of a scoundrel. Indeed he was, he yes. was Archie. Yes, he went to the First World War. I kept his name always, Christie, Archie Christie. Bit of a scoundrel, really. He went off to the First World War, got knocked about the head or something, and came back and ran off with another woman. I can't think of another explanation. <laughs> Some sort of shell shock. Yes, those, those helmets were rather thin, very pithy. Not made of pith, but pithy nonetheless. <laughs> A pithy woman, of course, was favoured in India, Africa. Tropical climates. All the hot places. Breathable. It's a breathable helmet. Yeah. I did, I did, it reminds me, if you don't mind, HG, I brought you a bit of sherry. Oh, don't know if you're certainly. In, don't know if you're interested, no, I but mind I might be. Uh, now, uh, uh, I always bring sherry. You never know what kind of sherry someone might serve. You're the first guest to do it, and I hope you're not going to be the last. <laughs> now, Dame Agatha, while you're getting the sherry, I, I must confess, this is somewhat unorthodox. This is highly irregular. I've never done this before, but... I would like to remove my jacket as well. Oh, would that I've, be all right? I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna ask me to dinner. No. <laughs> well, no. I, I am. Maybe I'm, after the sherry. I, I. Well, I am married after a fashion. There we go. Does that Sorry. mean to a gentleman? I do. <laughs> no, but you're not the first to ask that. Um, I do. I do. Would you apologize. be a gentleman in 
decork that. Certainly I will. I, I do apologise you're, you're seeing my shirt sleeves. It's a bit unseemly. In mixed company. Indoors. Your, your wrists are rather, uh, rather eroticising, shall I say. <laughs> Never seen a bare wrist on a gentleman. Like I, it's like it's sort of the, the very old days when you uh, you had to cover up table legs lest people go insane <laughs> into a, a carnal frenzy. Look at that leg; it reminds me of human legs. We'll drink out of plastic cups like peasants. <laughs> when in Rome. Wonderful stuff. Yes, Wonderful indeed. Stuff. Oh, it's got lovely legs. Speaking of legs, this Thank is. You. Uh, it's an Alvear Solera 1927, Pedro Jimenez, I think. <laughs> well, uh, uh, cheers. Chin cheers. Chin, cheers. Lady Agatha. Chin. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, that's quite nice indeed. Lovely. Yes, lovely indeed. Stuff. For the home listener, we've just drunk some of the sherry. Yes. <laughs> I uh, did bring a flask of scotch in case you weren't interested in the sherry. <laughs> You never know with a gentleman. In case the weather turns. Um, now, you, uh, speaking of the war, you were uh, you were uh, involved in the war yourself. You were you were uh, in the uh, medical corps. You were helping out. Yes, there. as a matter of fact, I I acquired quite a bit of my uh, knowledge during the First World War. I worked for at a Red Cross hospital. Mm -hmm. We say hospital. You go into hospital. You go in hospital. Yes, not yes. the hospital. Yes. In hospital. We we uh, unless people think there's more than there's only the one hospital. Correct. Yes. Correct. And as I was saying, I worked in a dispensary. And that was where I acquired quite a bit of knowledge about poisons and potions and things. So that was very helpful to me later when I was writing, you know, mysteries about people who had imbibed things and no one knew what they were. But I know. So you, yeah. you're, 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 you're bandaging uh, all these uh, torn up uh, young fellows and uh, all the, the, the mustard gas addled <laughs> chaps was, and yes, you're just collecting knowledge. This was in Hertfordshire, so it was a lot of car accidents, you know. A <laughs> lot, lot of the ones who weren't quite good enough to go over. People don't like to talk about that. <laughs> no, many, they don't vehicular? do that. Everyone's a hero, aren't they? I don't think so, <laughs> no, they, they don't like to talk I about I don't know a hero who doesn't know how to change the oil in his own truck. <laughs> Lorry, we say, Lorry. <laughs> it's true that we do. There were a lot of foolish injuries, and I have to say I looked down on quite a few of the gentlemen Certainly. that passed through those doors, but you would get the odd vet who had come over from the front. Yes, someone who had not been injured during a round of croquet. <laughs> no, no, no. Though that's a terrible injury, you know. It is. That's nothing to Once joke about. Once you've sprained your wrist, it's very hard to play croquet. <laughs> and forget about polo. Uh, as, a, as a young girl, as a little child, uh, you, were, you were alone frequently. You, you sort of kept to yourself, um, but you, you did uh, delight in pets. What was it about animals that you enjoyed so well, much? Well, they're very furry, aren't they? <laughs> That's very true. And they have nothing to say. They just want to be loved unless they don't. It's very simple. It's a very simple transaction. You do know where you stand with a dog. Never with a cat. Never, Never with, with a cat. cat. They no. keep you guessing. Yes, they do. Curious creatures, cats. Sometimes the curiosity uh, doesn't work out so well for them. <laughs> that expressions. Is so These true. are expressions. It's so true. You should coin that phrase. <laughs> I wish I'd. Oh, I would have made a mint had I had I thought to <laughs> trademark the Imagine the, the T-shirts you could have sold by the seaside. <laughs> um, your first novel, uh, Snow Upon the Desert, set in Cairo. You spent a lot of time mm, in. I did. Uh, 
in Cairo, you en- and you very much enjoyed um, archaeology. Uh, you, you enjoyed all sorts of Egyptology. What was it about? What was it that drew you to uh, all these mummies and sphinxes and so on? You know, it's a funny thing because travel became a theme throughout my life. One of the one of the recurring tropes, if you will. Indeed. And Cairo actually is a city I have great affection for. It was where I had my coming out as a socialite. Actually, I debuted in Cairo, which very few people can say that. I'm sure no one here can say that. Anyone here? A round of applause. How many people made their debut in Cairo? Absolute silence. How surprising. I thought some of you looked familiar. (laughs) Cairo was very fashionable at the time. And, you know, my mother was devastated. My father passed when I was thereabouts 11, something to that effect. And my mother liked to travel very much, so instead of putting me in school, she would take me with her, because really, what does a responsible mother do but take her child out of school over and over again? <laughs> now I'm sensing a, a slight tinge of uh, sarcasm no, with that. No, no. Well, it didn't matter, it didn't matter to me much, because obviously I was already you know, writing and knew the path I wanted to take and was already quite good at it at a young age. You know, you can always improve, but, you know, yes. yeah. Uh, good, good, better, best, never let it rest. <laughs> That's very, very true, very true. And we were in Cairo, and I spent much time there, and had gr- a great affection for the Egyptian people. Mm-hmm. And mummies, of course, are wonderful things, aren't they? Just imbued with mystery and their own little, their own little novels waiting to be unraveled, you know. Now, when you, have you been to an unraveling of a mummy? I have, actually. Uh, and it's a, a very funny thing to see a human that looks like a raisin. <laughs> You see all these wonderful uh, paintings and hieroglyphics on the walls of the tombs, and you think, they must have been a very handsome people. It's a bold, heroic yeah. figure. Inevitably, terrible noses, terrible noses. <laughs> all of them, all of them. After the fact, you mean? No, I mean, you, they were very well preserved, but Egyptians had rather large honkers. <laughs> but of course, that, that, uh, that, how much of that is preserved when uh, they're mummified? Well, that's the wonderful thing about mummification. I mean, it was a precursor to uh, embalming, shall we say. Yes. And so often when you unravel a mummy, they're in quite good shape. I mean, not as good as if you left them in, you know, a, a pond of peat for 2,000 years or something, but quite well preserved. Uh, just a quick poll of the audience. How skinny, many? though, very skinny. Yes, indeed. Well, well, and they loved cats, the Egyptians. The, 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 weight just, the weight just melts away once you mummify. <laughs> yes, isn't that funny? As soon as you die, you stop gaining weight. It's a, it's in fact, <laughs> you lose it. I've considered taking my own life once or twice just to get into a bikini. Oh, <laughs> perish the thought, team, Anakin. Um, you, uh, so you met uh, Archie Christie uh, yep. at a dance. Um, and uh, mm. then he was off to the World War. Then when he, when he ran off, um, you disappeared for a bit. I did. For 11 days, I believe. Do you know I felt he deserved it? Well, I shouldn't wonder. Yes, I did what they call a runner, I believe. <laughs> and I did something rather clever, I thought. And, and, you know, there was quite a bit of fuss. You know, you never know how much people enjoy your company until you grab it right out from under them and they think you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> That showed Archie, I'll tell you. He didn't come looking for me, incidentally, but the papers certainly did. And I did. I went where people go when you do such a thing, and of course that's Yorkshire. So that's, that's I, correct. I went to Yorkshire for about oh, 14, 15, 17 days, something to that effect, and nobody knew where I was. I had checked into a hotel. Under a false name. Under a false, as you do, of course. In nom du hotel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And... <laughs> 
you know, I just sort of ate Yorkshire pudding for 19 days, as you do. You know, they didn't have Ben and Jerry's then. Well, just, so that, so no one really knows. You never revealed uh, exactly what you did for the whole time that you were there. So that you were just sitting around enjoying room service. What does one do when they go to Yorkshire? They do a lot of walking. You do a lot of eating. You do a lot of trying to, craning to understand the local population. You know, that sort of thing. This is, this is pre-HBO. Yes, I needed a, li- I needed a bit of me time. So as yes. we all do, yes, indeed. You know, you know, when one becomes unravelled, it's not very uh, ladylike to do that in front of everyone. No, certainly not. Like like some sort of emotional mummy. Um, do do you have fond memories of your of your sort of lost uh, fortnight in uh, in Yorkshire? Well, of course I do, because you know I sort of like a chrysalis emerged in a much finer state. You know, I went in feeling very wormy, and then when I came out, I felt like a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> There I was, back on the scene, you know, very successful. That's Didn't right. have to give Archie a penny, which was wonderful, you know. One thing about women, it's funny, he ran off with a younger woman who was, some thought, very attractive. I, you know, never laid eyes on her, didn't want to. Didn't want to know what she looked like in, in the event that I might run her over with my automobile or, you know, so you accidentally never... slip some bromine in her t- in her. <laughs> In her wine, or you know, cyanide, whatever, whatever it is. Just uh, trip over an ottoman and Best mummify not to her. Know. Best not to uh, know. So you never, you never learned what she looked like. Well, she okay, yes, fine. A little bit later, fine, maybe. Yes. Fine, fine, That's yes, <laughs> fine. I did, HG. Sorry. If you've been looking to crack into something, HG, you've found your crevice. <laughs> It's like uh, our old feline friend Curiosity got the better yes, of you. Yes, but I'll tell you what, those two, okay, ran off together, wonderful. They were young, they were beautiful. That lasted for about 15 years. Meanwhile, there I was printing money, hand over fist. <laughs> I don't mean to be so gauche as to discuss, no. but let's call it what we're it is. We're both writers, yes, indeed. And then I decided, I did have a penchant for the archaeological, as you say, and I decided to take myself on an expedition. And as I was there, an expedition. (laughs) (laughs) And while I was there, I met the most wonderful gentleman who was an archaeologist. He was charged. I was his charge while we were there, of course. Somebody had to show me around. I wasn't going to go digging and panning for things all by my lonesome. That's how one breaks an ale, isn't it? (laughs) To say the least. And would you know that we were... This was in Baghdad. Okay. You call it... Baghdad, yes. I mean, yes. we, I th- you know I'm talking to the audience. They're I think now they call it Do they Baghdad. know what I mean? Yes, you're all familiar with uh, no, Baghdad. 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 Then is how the proper pronunciation. You'd say Baghdad. Yes. And you know, at that time, <laughs> at that time you could only travel by train. So, you know, it was a long and arduous journey. And if you wanted to go somewhere, you know, you really had to want to go. You had to load up all your trunks. Absolutely. Louis Vuitton, Goyard, whoever I could find. Your many hat boxes. Yes, wonderful. wonderful. Yes, several pairs of shoes, all your parasols. That was the way. That was the way. You know, now anyone can get anywhere. People are on aeroplanes in their pajamas. Oh, please, please, HG, don't remind me. (laughs) There are few things I care for less than the sight of a small child in pajama on an airplane. Simply no dignity or decorum anymore. Uh, it's it's true. It's a shame. Um, uh, I mean, I had suits just for travelling. 
Well, but of course, everyone did, and, of you, and you had your, you had your sort of uh, your khaki-coloured things for uh, for the desert. Yes, my my safari wear Indeed. or my desert wear, you know, exactly. whatever it was, wonderful stuff. You dressed the part when you had something to do. In in, in so while I was there, I met this wonderful gentleman named Max. Max was his name. Very German, <laughs> very German sounding. Somebody's crushing ice behind us. Yes, indeed. Don't know if the people at home can hear that. Uh, they never can. We, we used to reference it quite a bit. <laughs> and they but it never turns up on the well, recording. Never again, never again. Uh, Max McClone was his name. He was Scottish. Wonderful chap. Very, very studied and erudite, but a lot of fun at the same time. And would you know that we went for a bit of a romp about about uh, the desert surrounding Baghdad. I think we were in Ur at the time, if I'm not mistaken. We were on a dig. And would you know that we got stranded? Our automobile, the tiles simply stopped working. I mean, that's how much sand there is in a desert. And do you know that the desert core had to come and rescue? I mean, if that isn't a, a cute meet or a romantic start to a relationship, I don't know what is. <laughs> and so it was me and Max and Max and me for several years after that, for, until Max passed. It's, it's like something out of uh, Tommy and Tuppence minus a grisly murder. Uh, is that funny? That's funny. That's very funny. Um, <laughs> Those are characters of mine. He's written. Touching, touching on Archie again very briefly. Yes. Um, oh, yes, uh, please. Let's get back to well, Archie. <laughs> perhaps this is he a certainly hasn't received enough airtime, has perhaps, he? Perhaps this will be a fun... I hope he's happy. <laughs> yes. Perhaps this will be a fun memory, though. You, you Do you know he hasn't called his daughter in 13 years? <laughs> No, I didn't realise. Funny thing about Archie. So, but he was he was knocked about the head, so we can't blame him. We can't yes, of course. Him. Your question, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, while you were together, you were you learnt to surf prone in South Africa, and in Waikiki yes. in Hawaii, you became some of some of the first Britons to surf standing up. It's true. We were among the first surfers. Now, uh, um, uh, among all your many accolades, is this something that you uh, you hold perhaps more dear than the others? <laughs> that you were among the first Britons to surf standing up? Do you know, at that time, most people were just, you know, taking an ironing board and, and, and you know, they've gone back to that now. The people that are too lazy to learn to stand up, too, they ride a wave in on an ironing board or, a, yes. you know, whatever it, it was is. The, it was the people's sport, surfing. Wonderful. It was open to anyone who had an ironing board. Yes. <laughs> but I would say that, you know, we were adventurous. I would give that to Archie. He had an adventurous spirit. And we were adventurous. And that's what adventurers did. They tried new things, you know. First they surf prone in South Africa. Then before you know it, Bob's your uncle. You're standing up on a board in Waikiki. Absolutely. And you know, at that time, women wore very, very elaborate bathing costumes. You're sort of an eight-piecer, yes. right? <laughs> Sort of a union suit or, so, you know, with a built-in brassiere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, and so many skirts. So many skirts. Because what would happen? <laughs> if we saw the outline of the female form why people would just strangle each other in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> true enough, true enough. I mean, we do need something to... Clothing is, clothing is what separates us from the savages, I yes. always say. Well, here's another thing. Uh, smoking cigarettes. Uh, you were never a big smoker. No. Uh, but you did try... <laughs> unsuccessfully <coughs> to make yourself like cigarettes by smoking one after lunch and one after dinner every day for six months. True enough. Now, some point, let's say month two. Yes. Are you thinking, I've given it a go. The old college try, that's enough of the cigarettes. What, what made you go for the full half a year? Do you know, HG, common sense would dictate such a thing, wouldn't it? But I looked so remarkable when I was smoking. 
It's very hard to give up the picture of myself lighting a cigarette and a gentleman always offering to light your cigarette. Well, of course. And, and then sort of just, you know, a bit of tobacco off the tongue and, <laughs> and then sort of just carrying on a conversation. I mean, I looked absolutely smashing. Well, and I have to say, I've never been a quitter. So, you know, you try something for six months. If it doesn't take, it doesn't take. Indeed. The, the fault is not upon you, madam. Um, Certainly not. But it's a very theatrical sort of thing, and you did enjoy uh, uh, being upon the stage for a brief period. You, you did it at school and then wrote some plays. Well, I was a wonderful singer and a wonderful pianist. Very talented, very, very gifted child. But you know that I had a bit of stage fright, you know. Oh, is that so? I did. I must admit, I was, I was very shy when I was young, Probably do in no small part to all of the moving about that we did. Thanks again to my mother. You don't have time to make friends with anyone no, but pets. No, no, just the pets, I suppose. <laughs> Even the cats looked pretty good after a few months. <laughs> well, now, being, being in a situation like this, knowing that there's, there's people right here uh, uh, gawping at you and, and there's people at home listening, uh, does that give you any pause or are you, uh, are, you, are you quite comfortable? No, I mean, we're talking about me, so why would that be difficult? But if I were to belt out a tune or, you know, play a concerto on the harpsichord, that, that might give me a bit of the sweats. Now, well, I, I've told you about uh, karaoke, uh, which karaoke, is Karaoke, yes, you were telling Karaoke, which is still very popular. Not um, to be confused with croquet. No, please. Yes, very different. Similar injuries, though. Yes. Um, but uh, a lot of people have their, uh, their signature, the go-to uh, karaoke yes. song. Uh, what, back in the day, in the, <laughs> when you'd be in a, some, some, someone's parlor and they had a hopsichord, did you have, uh, did you have a go-to jam, as it were? It's a very interesting question, actually. I'll have to let me think for on that for a moment. Please do take your time. There was a wonderful funeral dirge that I enjoyed, and then the name escapes me. It was a Gregorian chant originally, I believe, and then it sort of evolved over the ages, and you know, it was just the sort of thing one needed when when one was feeling really low. Yes, indeed. You thought to yourself, at least I'm not dead. <laughs> I will say, uh, as low as I felt, I was always very happy to be alive. That's sort of the, the plot of most popular songs, isn't it? At least I'm not dead. Yes. Uh, you were very much alive when you were given uh, uh, the order of... The, you were appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1956 in the Queen's New Year's Honours. CB. Um, and then the next year, um, you became the president of the Detection Club. Not quite as grand no, an honour. No, no. Um, and then you know you must the, those people the underlings the readers as we call them yes. you must honour the, the commitments you know to them it's, you're, you don't want to end up signing uh, signing autographs at John Lewis on Oxford Street you know <laughs> so if these Perish people the if these peasants or people or readers or <laughs> underlings or, or lower class whatever you like to call them they want to give groundlings one of them one of, one of groundlings of course one of their mysterious made up awards you know, just so they can meet you. It's a Thursday night. <laughs> then in 1971, you were named, uh, you were made a dame of the British Empire. It's about time. Now that's that's uh, uh, that sort of honor has been uh, denied me certainly um, uh, a dame? by the crown. Well, you would never be a dame. Well, no, I, I didn't. I, that's why I said that sort. I, I, I certainly see, know. I, 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 I didn't think there'd be some sort of mix up, a, a Mrs. Doubtfire situation, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I have to. But don you, but you would have taken it, wouldn't you? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. <laughs> Had I would it have been offered. You I would certainly would have put right on a there. false woman suit and yes. uh, <laughs> fixed Scott Jackson. Dame H.G. Wells. It does have a ring. H.G. Who knows? It could be Harriet Georgina. Yes. Hell of a good time, Wells. That's what they used to call you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I quite, quite like that. I hope you don't mind if I, if I pinch that from no, you. No, please. Lisa, right, you wouldn't be the first to plagiarize. <laughs> Oh, now, do you feel? Do you feel that? Uh, how do you feel about the influence your work has had? Do you feel obviously uh, the mystery genre? Uh, you you helped popularize it uh, more than uh, perhaps anyone alive. How, how do you feel about uh, the people that are that are custodians of do that genre? You mean genre the today? J.K. Rowlings of the world, <laughs> <laughs> or the Nancy Drews? <laughs> yes, the Nancy Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown. Yes. Or, you know, these are the people you speak. These of. are the people I speak of. Yes, yes. You're Nancy Drews. Yeah. You're Encyclopedia's Brown. Yeah. <laughs> You're Ramona's. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a pest. Now, do, do you, uh, how, how do you feel about that? The, the sort of mysteries for kids? Are you, are you in favor of that? That's nice to get the kids reading, isn't it? You know, it is, but I never read children's literature. I think it's very condescending to make children read children's books. You should force them to be as precocious no, as possible. No, but I mean, if they can read, you know, they should. It's, all, it, uh, it's interesting. You go to the bookstore and you see the way that they print said literature, and children's books and very old people's books look exactly the same. <laughs> very large font. I don't, know if, yes, if, I, I don't know if children have poor eyesight and their eyeballs are still developing. I don't think so. I was told once that the eyeballs are the same size from birth to death. The, the actual the the thing ball inside your skull. Yes, that's what I was told. Find it hard to believe because babies are so tiny, but it's one of those Leonardo those... da Vinci sort of things, you know. <laughs> the nose and the air are the same size, and you know the symmetry of the, of the human form. Now what I'd heard was that secretly all babies look like Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> they certainly look like most of his grotesques. I'll say that. Not a not a fan. No, they no. are babies. <laughs> yes. Really, HG. That's right. <laughs> Terrible conversationalists. In fact, all they do is detract from the conversation. Oh, my baby is crying. Let me check on my baby. Why shall you check? This is why we have governesses, you know. Certainly. Servants. Certainly. Slaves, whatever you like to call them. <laughs> Nannies. <laughs> I have always said you should never do something that someone else can do for you. Uh, on the topic of uh, slavery, you started to feel uh, much as uh, uh, Conan Doyle did to uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, sort enslaved of, uh, enslaved to my characters. By Poirot, uh, he who was very popular. But oh, after yes. a while, you grew weary of writing his adventures. Oh, he's, so, he's so egotistical. By, by the 1960s, you felt that he was, quote, an egocentric creep. Yes. End quote. Creep, a real creep, wasn't yes, he? <laughs> I don't know how he got that way, really. Well, now, you're, you're the, the, the creator of this person. Oh, I suppose I you am. Are, you are his god or goddess. Uh, you, you've, you've, uh, created deity his... is fine. Yeah, Gender no, neutral. Yes, indeed. Gender neutral, yes. This modern age. Um, you've, you've defined this, uh, this poor person's universe. I mean, you've made him so um, uh, such, a, such a, a, a flesh and blood creation that he's the only uh, fictional character to have an obituary run in, in the New York Times. Very true, very true. You know, nobody likes a know-it-all, do they? <laughs> He never made a mistake, Poirot, did he? So we had to murder him at some point. <laughs> you know, what you think is charming when you're young often is the thing that drives you mad when you're older. Indeed. I thought, found him very charming at first, you know. Belgian. How funny is that? A Belgian. Ridiculous people. <laughs> they're not even aware that they're French. No. They're very aware that they'd like to be. Hmm. I've spent a lot of time in Belgium. I... 
Ma'am, I did forget to warn you, it's a very pro-Belgian crowd. <laughs> They're simply mad. The Americans identify with the underdog, don't they? It's very yes, true. they it's do. Very true. And Belgium is to France as America is to Great Britain, I suppose. Yes, indeed. And the other thing where they do the same thing, sort of, and kind of speak the same language. Yes, and it gets... But it, not really. It gets worse. <laughs> gets worse the farther north you go. Yes, it certainly does. But the Belgians are in, they're very interesting people. You know, when I was uh, growing up in Turkey, and then during the First World War, there were quite a few Belgian refugees who lived uh, quite near me in the village. And I was an observer, as I'm sure you've keened from your, from your, from reading my novels. I've so, you know, you you had to be an observer to write such wonderful stuff, <laughs> to understand the human condition and human nature so intricately. Indeed, the Belgians kept to themselves in the village, so there was sort of a curious faction within the village. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny to have a fastidious little man with a fastidious little moustache? You know, in a wonderful suit, a sort of a gentleman who preferred squares to circles. You know what I mean? I believe I do, yes. yes. And, uh, and, you know and then me... I thought, what a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, let me guess, Poirot has the answer. I w- <laughs> you know, Skinny. fuck off, that it's... sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's getting a bit adaptation here right now, because... Uh, you know, you did you did create this fellow. Then um, I would have right to destroy him. Well, yeah, certainly, certainly. But but did you ever if think at any point you would that a parent had the same privileges? <laughs> but did you? <laughs> if we could only cull the population like dare, this would be a much much nicer place. <laughs> I, I feel I cannot comment because I, I had something to say on the subject of uh, eugenics that has gotten blown all out of proportion. Oh, what was yes. that? Well, I you just thought... You can tell me. I just thought, wouldn't it be My nice My husband's if, name is Max. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wouldn't it be nice if, if, uh, if all the smart people got together and had more smart people and then, uh, and then people sort of extrapolated from that that I wanted uh, certain people not to be around anymore and that's not really what I was trying no, to say No, that's at all. not a bit fair, is it? Because, you know, isn't that what people do? You know, you're sort of attracted to, often people are attracted to people above their station. Let's just come out and say it. But what you want to do is you may want to make a good marriage. It's a, it's really a breeding chart, isn't yes, it? Uh, today they say game recognises game. Yes. Well, no, yeah, the, these days, from what I've seen, walking around the grove, anything can go with anyone here. It's, it's, and I think it's, it's terrible. <laughs> You can't tell the trash bin from the trash bag. <laughs> well, that's it in a nutshell, really. You can't tell the trash bin from no, the trash you can't. bag. Uh, so now, you, you, did you ever think you could have written Poirot differently? As he started to wear on your nerves, couldn't you have said, I'm going to give this fellow a road to Damascus moment. He's going to be, have an awakening and, and be a more kindly and agreeable sort of chap who uh, maybe listens to other people, <laughs> hears them out and lets them have their say, considers all options. So that, that never entered your mind? Do you know, I think Poirot had run his course. You know, I think there's something to be said for taking something to its maximum and then stopping, if you know what I mean. The Seinfeld theory. Certainly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Larry David, a very good friend of mine. But of course. Another scribe. Oh, to see you in an episode of Curb. (laughs) Stay tuned. No, but I think that Poirot had run his course. I mean, you know, he was absolutely magnificent 
at what he did. You know, yes. truly fastidious, marvelous, marvelous detective. But, you know, if I had started to change him, it would have changed really who Poirot was. I mean, it wouldn't have been true to his character to give him more humanity. Fair enough. Do you, do you feel as if you were a bit cruel to give him uh, an egg-shaped head? As I mentioned, he was Belgian, so... <laughs> I was merely observing, you know, the Belgian people. Now, seven speak, to, speak to God or Darwin if you're concerned with such things. And if you want to see more egg-shaped heads, I suggest, you know... Visit your local library. Bruges or, or, Bel or Brussels this time of year. <laughs> Antwerp is wonderful as well. <laughs> Terrific fashions of Antwerp. Word and diamonds. To, word to the wise, egg-shaped head fans? Yes. Belgium is your place. <laughs> <laughs> Seven of your stories are inspired by uh, nursery rhymes. Uh, the, t the titles are taken from nursery rhymes. Um, and indeed, some of the, some of the plots. Um, uh, and then there were none by Ten Little Indians. One, two, buckle my shoe. Um, five little pigs. Uh, crooked House uh, from There Was a Crooked Man, Pocket Full of Rye from Sing a Song of Sixpence, Hickory Dickory Dock by Hickory Dickory Dock, and Three Blind Mice by Three Blind Mice. Starting to feel like an inquisition. Yes, well, <laughs> merely, merely stating a fact, what, what was it that drew you to this, uh, to this sort of uh, curious uh, uh, naming of your novels? Depression. <laughs> so was it the rhyming that sort of lifted your spirits? No, I was having a very hard time when I wrote those books and you know. Phoned it in, as they say. <laughs> Is that so? You, you yes. feel like it's not your, not your best effort? You know, there's still it better than anything anyone else has written, but <laughs> at that time, I was... Uh, no, I'm speaking, of course, of detective. You know, it's like the Encyclopedia's Brown, the, the Ramonas once again, you know, the Sisters Drew, Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> was she a detective? <laughs> She solved this. She was race? a real pain in the ass, I can tell that's, you that. That's true. Yes, she was. I figure she crossed the genre. Found herself very cute, didn't she? Yeah. Might as well have been Belgian. <laughs> Swedish, I believe. <laughs> I believe so, yes. yes. Um, no, I just was lacking in inspiration, I think, if I can be 100% honest with you. Have you reached that moment as a writer, and it's the worst, where you're just looking around the room saying, What Where's if I that wrote book about. Of nursery rhymes? Yeah, what if I wrote a, a novel about a carpet? What if I wrote a novel about a window? Hmm. No? All right. <laughs> Moving on. No, I'm sorry. I'm trying to imagine. Trying to put myself in your well, place. You, uh, not a, trying uh, to imagine a, a life without inspiration. Or, or, or How many books have you written? It's a bit unfair. H.G. I've, I've written a few dozen. A few dozen? Are you sure? Don't, don't quote me on that. How many were published? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Yes, All of them that we know today have been... Published. Yes, you know, I was 86 when I passed. Yes. That's, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Well, it's a bit rude. I went to see a, I went to see a clairvoyant, so I feel, yes, it's, feel it's fair. Yes, so you've one been spying my, on Wikipedia. One of my, one of, well, I, did, I didn't notice Please. you had a tablet there. Certainly, yes, indeed. Well, it's my notes, <laughs> yes. One of the wonderful Egyptian clairvoyants. But do you know that I wrote 66 novels and yes. 15 short stories, and that's just what people know about so obviously I was very busy. That's true. There's very maybe busy. Still, bless you. There's maybe still a few left in a, in a trunk somewhere that uh, left to... Uh, you, you would have... That you, I should, you, should, like you'd like to get your fingers on them, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Switching up the genre a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Writing about people that, uh, that lived in the real world who are killing each other rather than making the other whole races up out of whole cloth? Yes, can I ask you a question, H.T.? Would you mind if I asked you a question? You may ask me anything, is that, is that totally impolite? 
No, not at all. Not Pettantly impolite. No, it's 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 it's, it's very uh, it's very courteous, and uh, and I'm I'm flattered that you would be interested in me in any way. I've noticed from your show, your your podcast, your whatever it is, that <laughs> you have a certain dislike for Jules I'm sorry. You've no, I've, I've noticed that you don't care for Jules and I was wondering what that might be about. Well, am I am I right in asking this question? Oh, Jules Verne. Yes, Jules Verne. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I've programmed. What do you call him? I've programmed myself not to recognise his name as he would pronounce it. Uh, yes, I, I do. Uh, I do believe that he's um, he's a bless bless you, madam. Thank I, you. I do believe that he's smoker's a, cough. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> still lingers after all these years. Oh, you're a two-a-day woman for six months. Um, yes, Shortened uh, my life by four minutes. I'm sure he's <laughs> he's often he's often credited with uh, co-creating uh, with with myself the uh, the science fiction genre, and I, I do believe that uh, my, my novels are a bit more imaginative than his. Uh, you know, he, he just he just sort of takes things and then makes them bigger than they are. You know. But, Here's a squid. What about a giant squid? Yeah. Well, and then we d- we a come to find sizer. out. Yes, we come to we come to find out there are such things as giant squids. Of course so there are. Where's where's the fiction? You know what I mean? There's yes. plenty of science. Jolly good. Well done. Plenty of science. Yes. yes. But where's the fiction? Plenty of science. Plenty yes. of science. More than you need, really. Very dull fiction. Very dull fiction. Yes, indeed. And and uh, yes. Yeah, so I, 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 I never I think I plunging to the bottom of the ocean is a good idea. To start a novel. No, and if you've read the book, you certainly know that uh, it's not, because it's <laughs> not a very good book. Well, there we are. So that's that's my problem with him. I, I don't think he's terribly uh, uh, imaginative, and I, I resent being lumped in with him uh, any time the, the topic of science fiction is brought up. It's, Did it's you ever origins. meet the man? I pray that I never meet Jules Verne. Yeah. He's strikingly handsome. Oh, is that so? Yes, very debonair. Yes, I think anyone with a beard that big is hiding something. <laughs> piercing eyes, piercing eyes. Now, here's something I'd like to he pierce He locks them. you in his gaze. I, I certainly like to There's lock him no in something. escaping. Um, now, twice uh, in your novels, the murderer, surprisingly, turns out to be the narrator of the story. Oh, damn. That's a bit of a, bit of a trick, isn't it? Twist, isn't yes, it? Yes, oh, it's a twist, one might say. You're reading this book, and then all of a sudden at the end, oh, by the way, I'm the murderer. <laughs> Did you feel cheated? A bit, yeah. It's, it's uh, what we call in the trade an unreliable narrator. Yes, well, I only did it twice. <laughs> but the, the Three first times time, it's a habit. It, the first yes. time it was, it was a temptation uh, almost too difficult first to First time I thought, let's try something different. Second Certainly. time I said, these people can't be right. This is a wonderful device. Yes. And then I understood that perhaps it These wasn't. people can't yes. be right, no. you said. As I've told you at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, I believe that all of my work is wonderful and it's just the time that it perhaps is, is brought to a publisher or an editor. Indeed. You know, sometimes you have to put it in a drawer four years later, 14 years later, 40 years later, whatever it is. However long it takes. Yes. Dust uh, it off and get some other fool to buy it. <laughs> I didn't sit typing for six months so that no one could buy it, did I? Now, speaking in of other... hot tent in Baghdad. Speaking, speaking of other fools, we do have uh, questions from Twitter. Who? Um, these are people Twitter. that have uh, written in the uh, social networking Wonderful platform. Wonderful word, Twitter. Twitter. Yes, it, it's, it's fun to say. Yes, it is it's fun Twitter. To say. It's, it's terrible when, uh, when someone like the President of the United States has to say it, though. They didn't think about that when they named these things, when, when someone in a very somber tone has to say, YouTube. You know, that sort of thing. Yes. I wish they'd called it something else. 
Um, so now uh, we do have a, a few questions here from um, from other people. Um, let's see. Uh, questions for Gore, Gore Vidal. They, I didn't mean to start at the beginning from la last month's show. Um, here we go. Uh, New questions. For no, we do. We have we have many. I'm trying to select one. We have several questions for you. Uh, we, uh, many many questions for you uh, to root through here. Um, uh, what's the, what is the perfect murder? What do you think the in your opinion? What do you think the perfect murder would be? Because uh, no one gets away with it in your books. It was it's very rare. Very rare that people escape justice in one of your novels. It's true. It's true. Though justice is meted out in its own way. Yes, know? indeed. Poirot is often the arbiter of justice in my books, you know. No time to sit through a boring court case is there. Poirot just decides who gets locked up and who doesn't, you know. And if the murderer on the Orient Express don't want to ruin it for anyone, spoiler alert, but everybody gets to leave because they'd murdered such a, a deceiving and just dastardly character. He's wretched. As uh, implied by the name, a perfect murder. You know, a perfect murder for me would start with a character by the name of Archie, perhaps. <laughs> and you would think he was a... I would set it in the South Pacific. And you would think he was a skilled longboard surfman or an airplane pilot or something. You know, an aviator. Certainly. Just going off of nothing here. And you would possibly consider, you know, making him a pina colada when he comes home from work and and slipping some sort of lo local poison into it. Not a poi, but a poi derivative, you know. Some sort of a fungus. Very hard to trace an organic poison. And blame it on the pineapple. <laughs> that, to me, is a perfect murder. There you go. And, and it sounds perfectly delightful. It does, doesn't it? Delicious. It does. Delicious. This is an interesting one. Which detective of yours would be more likely to commit murder, Miss Marple or Hercule Poirot? Oh, Poirot, for sure. Oh, no, I'll take that back. You know Miss Marple, she does seem very even-killed, you know. She's a lovely old bitty from the village, and she sort of, you know, pokes her nose in and no pokes it out, and, you know, she sort of observes village life. She, In the way that Poirot is completely well, you know, Miss Marple exists yes. in the English countryside. But I do think that's a maddening existence, and I do think if pushed too far, you know, Miss Marple might crack a vase on someone's head or, you know, <laughs> push them out a window. Do you think she'd start with animals? That would be the mark of a serial killer, would it not? <laughs> yes, indeed. A psychopath. That's right. Interesting. It might start with her familials, it might. Can you tell us now? And Because I, I feel you're being, a bit, uh, you're being a bit coy. Well, I mean, really. Do you want me to write books for other people here? No, no, no. These I questions just, are absurd. I'd just like to know. <laughs> You can reveal it now. Uh, uh, was Miss Marple... This is like asking Beethoven. What do you think would be the perfect stanza in a symphony? Well, I mean, no, you, you're judging my question before I've asked yes. it. You don't even know what no, I'm going to But these questions from before, I mean... Well, I mean excuse me, you know... Put them out Miss of Christie, mind, do you mind, do you mind telling me the plot of a perfect murder so that I might write myself a television pilot? Well, it also might... <laughs> To, to be fair, could be just a would-be murderer. <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, would you... In that case, mail bomb. <laughs> Dame Agatha, that's all Don't the Don't get the tracking number. That's if they all. ask you... If they ask you want to pay extra for a tracking number, say no. <laughs> I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Dame Agatha Christie, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Hell of a good time. My thanks to Agatha Christie for her time, and special thanks to Miss Jessica Chaffin for no particular reason. 
Join us again next time when our guest will be Brendan Behan. This podcast is produced by Mrs. Ben Zelovansky and Paul F. Tompkins, with special material written by Mr. Zelovansky. The producers wish to thank Cody Fisher, Jim Yatto, Alex Berg, Susan Hale, and everyone at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre Los Angeles, and Lauren Rock and Joel Arkeos at 826LA. Our theme was composed and performed by Mr. Eben Schletter, Esquire. This program is recorded live and monthly at the UCB Theatre Los Angeles. If you'd like to attend a future recording, tickets may be acquired at ucbtheatre.com. The theatre donates all proceeds to 826LA. For updates on future performances, please like the Dead Authors page on Facebook. For additional updates or to ask questions of our guests from the safety of your very own thumbs, follow us on Twitter at DeadAuthorPod. The original Dead Authors reading series was created by Mr. John Korn. Until next time, this is H.G. Wells saying, the show is over. Thank you.